Hey, it's Chase from On The Table Gaming, and today we're going to be looking at House Martell for A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game. I'm joined by CMON's design director, Michael Chanel, and game designer, Fabio Curry, to talk about the latest faction for A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game. Thank you so much for both joining us today. Hey, Chase, it's great to be here after a while now. I'm glad you're you're back on track with your episodes. Yeah, back and ready to rock. I got to kick the sand out of my sandals here. <laughs> and we're already starting off with the puns. We're off to a fantastic <laughs> start here, Chase. It's good to see you again. I'm excited. So House Martell is the ninth faction for Song of Ice and Fire, the Mentors game, a game that you know many of us is following now for, God, like over half a decade. I Actually, for you, Michael, it probably goes back even further, right? Yeah, definitely a little bit further than that. It's not as far as, you know, um, Mr. Martin and his uh, 20 plus years <laughs> of writing these books, obviously, but we're... We're technically catching up, although he's got a fair lead. <laughs> oh, fair, fair enough. I think it's a fair statement there. Now, if, if you'll recall, uh, you know, going back to right after the Kickstarter launch and, and you know, they started being fulfilled and uh, you said a, a few things that I still remember. Uh, so, you know, first on air, you stated an often misquoted line about, you know, nine factions for a Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game. And then the second thing you said was something like, uh, there's nothing that the internet cannot twist. Uh, can you uh, maybe clear the air before we move on and have our celebratory episode here? You know, where do we stand with things? This is actually the ninth faction action for a Song of Ice and Fire the Miniatures game. You know, what does that mean? It means that this was the ninth one that has been released, and that's exactly what that means. What I can say to that is I remember that, you know, very distinctly back when we were having our CMON Expo. I think this was like the second or third one that we had. And the question came up, you know, when we were talking about Song of Ice and Fire, and it was that we had at least nine factions planned for the game. And the problem is, is that people really, really seem to like forgetting that little preface there about at least and taking that to mean, oh, there's a hardcore limit of nine factions, which... You know, that whole quote was made at the very beginning to show that, like, no, it is not going to be just Starks and Lannisters as we revealed that we actually have plans for the future of this game and everything. And of course, the Internet being what it is, latched on to uh, nine factions. That's a hardcore number, hardcore set thing. That's all we're going to have. So every time that we have mummerings coming out, they're always like, what are the nine going to be? Because it can't be any more than that because things never change. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, that's that's a thing. That's like probably one of the quotes. There's two quotes I remember from the early days. and That's definitely one of them that sticks with me is like. Why Why did people latch on to that? And then it was during that same weekend that we were talking about potential things for the future. And I had mentioned like, oh, we could have anything. You know, we could have, you know, Rob Stark, King of the North. We could have a mounted Tywin Lannister. And the internet latched on to that mounted Tywin Lannister comment. And since then, years and years ago, every time we're going to do any type of release for Lannisters, people have been asking like, oh, when's that promised mounted Tywin coming out? And, you know, the narrative just, it's a game of telephone. You know, I wish I could say that people have not seen that in real time developing over any type of uh, media or news that happens. But, you know, that's the thing. You say one thing and then someone hears it and interprets it one way. And then all of a sudden you've said this entirely different thing. Granted, this is a way smaller scale than that. But I guess to answer your, your question with my long rant right there. Yes, this is the ninth faction for the game that has come out. What does that mean? This is the ninth one just before the 10th one has come out and after the eighth one. Now, I'm going to say it's only going to be a matter of time because I just said 10th right there. That people are already going to <laughs> yep. say, oh, <laughs> 10. <laughs> 
but I'll let him have that one. All right, we're already off to a strong start here. In a game of telephone, you ring or you die. Fabio, I think we're on the same page for this. So let's, <laughs> let's get into it. Let's start talking about the, the Martells. And I'm excited to talk a little bit about what's in the core box and really your, your design philosophy and what, what the thought was going into this faction. So before we jump in here, actually, uh, Fabio, maybe you could give us a quick overview of like, what do you see as the faction identity for the Martells kind of writ large? I'll start with one of the challenges is that the Martells in the books, they're actually pretty secretive with their troops, right? So we, we had to think on like the big picture of the faction and we kind of let's say located ourselves in in two things right they they're they must be agile right we we don't imagine them wearing the heaviest of armor in the very hot desert mm-hmm. and then the other thing that we really thought so that's really talking about like the troops right and and how the troops maneuver around which was i'd say one of the challenges and the other thing that we we thought that was pretty important was the way their NCUs play, which they're always very calculating and they do tend to lean towards control and they're very disruptive on the court, right? So I'd say that their 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 NCU play style is very lean towards control while them on the battlefield is very, they are very lean towards reaction and maneuvering. But you'll see that in a very different way and a different feel than the other maneuvering from other factions. So Starks maneuver way differently, right, than Targaryens and Greyjoys, which are factions that like to, to claim horses and, and and kind of pivot around moving on the battlefield, right? And you'll see that Martells do that in a, in a very different and pretty unique way. Yeah, speaking about it from like, not even just a design standpoint, but like the one quote that comes to my head is, you know, the, you know, the Dornish bide their time. You know, they're mm. in it for the long game. That's, the, that's kind of their whole mantra and everything throughout those series as it's been leading up. But when it comes from like a design standpoint we have our mechanics in mind and everything but when it comes to like the the aesthetics and everything which does go a lot to shape how the faction actually plays because you know you can't have a faction look a certain way and then have it just play an entirely different way that 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 creates a disconnect and it's just that doesn't really work so whenever we're making a new faction we basically have an initial draft document that has like here are basically uh the visual examples of how these troops would look you know what their kind of general feel would be that goes then through george and he gives the approval or not and changes back and forth like we've had many podcasts before in the past talking about you know back in the start when the starks you know went through numerous and numerous revisions to match you know what he um envisioned their armor and everything to be the same thing happens here with the martels now granted this happened a long time ago because Okay, this is the newest faction. This is not like something that we just started working on recently. You know, we've had plans for these things for a long, long time. We play the long game, just like our Dornish friends here. Um, uh, <laughs> is, is that kind of a pun from Michael? That's a kind of a, like a, a turn of phrase. I liked it, though. Uh, it's the closest we'll get. <laughs> <laughs> Remember this internet. So, you know, when it comes to the design philosophy there, you know, you have your ideas for a faction. You don't want that to overlap too much with the existing stuff that's out there. So, you know, we can say, oh, yes, they're very maneuverable. But then if we just say that, then people are like, okay, well, we have Starks, we have Targaryens, we have Greyjoys. They're all about maneuverability. But it's in different ways. Like, you're not going to have just the sheer raw aggression that you're going to have in some of the other factions. This is more kind of like your Trixie bit. This is going to be the one of the comparisons I make is like Lannister is like playing the control and denial game with like the uh, tactics cards, your NCUs, and kind of the political fields. The Martells are kind of like that, except on 
on the battle. They have a lot of your tricks that you can do in that regard. And of course, they have their NCU and tactics tricks as well. But this is going to be more so about like basically punishing and debuffing a lot of the enemy units in various ways and not so much about like bolstering their own. Like Greyjoys are going to get stronger as the game goes on, as they're you know getting their pillage tokens up. Targaryens, you know, if they can start getting that snowball effect going, they can start just raging through the enemy. Here with the Martells, they're more about like, OK, this is a key threat or a problem here that we need to strike at. And then not necessarily wipe out and destroy, but we're going to have effects that are going to hamper and disrupt the enemy field tactics while throwing in some, you know, NCU and off the field denial as well. So I would almost like if we want to talk to like any veteran players out there, I'd almost say like think of these as sort of like combat Lannisters. Oh, interesting. There's a lot of design space with all these factions, but for the Dornish forces, the Martells here in general, there's a ton of potential for like NCUs and named characters. Like there's a lot of names that get dropped in the books. But, you know, at the same time, like, you know, Fabio was hinting at like a lot of times the combat units themselves, you know, aren't necessarily specifically named as much. You know, this is a faction that, you know, we're able to withstand the Targaryens at their height. You know, these are a military force that are kind of talked about a lot of times, like in the abstract. Does that ever present challenges in the actual like planning out of a faction when maybe they, you know, it kind of skews one way? Oh, I'll, absolutely. And I'll let Fabio talk more on this. But the part that I will contribute here is that um, uh, when it comes to that, you know, in the early days of the game, you know, whenever we were passing everything through George and he was giving us feedback and whatnot, he was very much, you know, we were still building our rapport and our relationship up. And he wanted to make sure that everything that we referenced, you know, was somewhere in the books, you know, Car Stark Spearman. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had some liberties like Umber Berserkers. Those we got a little bit of a pass, but that wasn't so much outside the realm of possibility. And that rapport has built up over the years, you know, where, where everything that we make, you know, there's a lot of things that we've made in this faction that, especially when it comes to the Dornish um, and the Martells here, that no, they're not referenced anywhere in the books because the standing military force of, you know, uh, Martells is not really expanded upon. And plus, you know, when you get back to it, all of these were really just a bunch of guys with spears or guys with swords. You know, they have fancy <laughs> names or everything. But, you know, everything that we do is still passed through George. You know, this is the unit concept we have. This is the name we wanted. Does this all fit? He gives us feedback, a yes or no, corrects it and everything. So, you know, this all passes through him. So, you know, for the sake of gameplay, are these like, we have like, you know, uh, Dune Vipers, you know, uh, Sand Skirmishers, these things. Are, are these things like, are, are militaries going to call these guys this? No, not necessarily. Like, they're not going to call these, uh, like, unleash the Umber Berserkers. As cool <laughs> as that sounds, that's, that's not something you're going to hear. But you are going to hear like, oh, yes, these are like, you know, Sunspire Royal Guard or these are Spearmen. Yeah, those things will exist. But, you know, that's and that's where the game interacts with, you know, the um, your lore and your backstory, because otherwise, I mean, if we're being frankly honest, 80 percent of this game would just be spearmen fighting. <laughs> Stickman, go. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that being said, right, because, of course, there is all this back and forth that goes on for sure. And then the challenge is kind of finding the right units and the right names and then seeing how that fits in, into the faction. Right. And and then trying to pick the trend. Right. If we're talking about like um, a tricksy mobility combat focused faction, right? Um, what makes them unique, but at the same time, what makes them similar, right? Because if you come out with just a bunch of completely different, unique effects and cards, that will create um, confusion among players. That there, there needs to be certain overlap to just otherwise you end up with lots of cards that do very similar things but have different names and they're just slightly different and that's not good for the the health of the game so it's really 
the trying to find the mix and match of what exists and then what needs to be new, right? What makes Martell's Martell's. And that actually kind of, if you indulge me here in a little bit of digression, um, you know, I'm, so I'm not a, a big club guy, <laughs> but I recently uh, heard this analogy and it was a bunch of people talking about DJs and music. And, uh, you know, someone was teasing, you know, why, why do you even need DJs? Can you just have like a, a playlist of things mixed in advance and just play like the best hits of the year? And then a few folks are responding about how you need to be able to like kind of read the room and there's so much more to being a DJ. But one of them was saying, you know, how as a DJ, your job is to actually play stuff that people don't like yet. Uh, stuff that maybe they're not into or uncomfortable with, you know, you're kind of exposing them to new stuff to expand their, you know, appreciation or experience. You know, you know, people think they want all the familiar stuff, but you know, there's a lot more complicated than that. And so I guess, you know, you kind of actually made me think of that story just there. And so, you know, as we're looking at this new faction for a song of ice and fire, the miniatures game, the ninth faction, you know, I kind of wonder what you see, you know, the balance of as, as a designer, you know, is there a temptation to design just around the greatest hits? Like how important is that? And then, you know, are there ways that you see yourselves taking risks with this faction and, and what might be an example of maybe some of your, you're kind of pushing the envelope a little bit with here, trying out new. I know that like when you read up a lot of like on the internet, you know, people go like, oh, oh I want Martells. Well, what are they going to do? The very first thing that jumps to everyone's mind is like, oh, they're going to be the poison faction. And it's like, well, that's because one of the most famous mm -hmm. scenes is, you know, with, you know, Ober and Martell and using Manticore Venom. And yes, they talk about that and everything. And yes, you've got the, the sand snakes that specialize in that. But some of them, some of them, yes, some of them. But that's the thing is like, you can take those little kind of like niche things that happen in a faction or to a character, but you don't necessarily want to expand them out to like, this is all the faction like has a gimmick about. Like, okay, with the Lannisters, there's a lot of control and subterfuge and things like that that happen within that faction and panic effects. But that is kind of ingrained into that faction identity because of the strong lead characters that you have. And even King's Landing as a whole, which the Lannisters, you know, vastly represent, they control everything through fear and tyranny. You know, they're not a just, you know, a Mon or sorry, uh, monarchy that's leading things. They are they are not afraid to go and bust heads in the street there if things get you know dicey. With the Greyjoys, you know you have your pillage mechanic for them because they are Viking raiders and everything, um, and that is ingrained into their lore and everything there. With the Martells, poison is something that people just kind of think of and they're like, okay, yeah, because the main characters that you get the perspectives of, they utilize that and they don't have a problem doing that versus some of the other kingdoms. My view that is a little underhanded, but you know, and shy away from it. Like the Starks are not going to go and poison people. But the thing is, just because that is a feature does not mean that's something you want to you know, spread across the army. Like you don't want to have just like, oh, every single one of their units is just handing out poisons mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, you know, all their spears are dipped in, laced in, you know, you know, toxic venoms and things like that. You know, that that's not that's not what the Martells are. That's a facet of them. So you have to take that theme. And that is the first thing that people think about when they think of Martells is, um, well, certain scenes from the books and shows, <laughs> unfortunately, and um, and then also yeah. poisons. Yeah. But it's how you take that aspect of it and incorporate it into a larger faction theme, which is kind of how, you know, it came to like, oh, they're going to debuff the enemy and have a bunch of mobility to represent like, you know, there's kind of skirmish tactics they're hit and run tactics and then instead of just being like oh they're just gonna throw different poisons and all this stuff there they're gonna play into that idea but still just use that as more so like this is why they do debuffs this is why they have some control aspects here is because that kind of fits in with like when you think of like poisons people think of like roguish figures and kind of these underhanded tactics but you know there's more facets to it than that but all those things kind of play into building a faction makes sense and when you say about adding new things and risking with the new i think that in the case of song of ice and fire we we have a small advantage <laughs> than, than than other games 
things when when you're designing, which is we have great lore to back on. So we we kind of know what makes people the same, right? They're all guys with spears. But what makes them new is is the flavor, and then you just have to try to adapt that to a mechanic. So I don't really need to justify lore into my mechanic. I need to justify the game mechanics into the lore, mm. right? And then yeah. that to me, like for my design process, that is. Um, I wouldn't say simpler or easier, but it's it's just more streamlined in my head, right? I think also because of practice. Yeah, I I, I do believe that we, we have a big advantage here where we have strong lore to back us up. So like Michael said, we we can use the inspiration of them um, them not caring about using underhanded methods or 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 even like outright yelling in a in in the the court right in the king's court and things like that. Uh, but at the same time, that does not that is not what just defines the Martells. And and then we have to look at each character, right? And all there's in the books, there's a huge story arc that, that happens with Martells, right? That that doesn't really happen in the TV show with a lot of colorful characters. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't talk about it. Very unique amongst themselves, right? So if, if we kind of just fell into, let's say like the Oberyn shtick, mm-hmm. it, it wouldn't fit. Like all his daughters are different. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and there, once again, there's a whole like political intrigue there and they were different than, than the Lannisters type of political intrigue. Right. And I'd say even on top of that, that they don't, Lannisters work through panic, right? Their politicians do panic. They're, they're, it really revolves around that. Whereas the Martells, they, they don't really strike fear into their enemies. They're all about like not striking fear and catching you by surprise yeah we're just gonna do stuff and by the time like we're not even playing the same game as you and that's i think actually a fun little quote there you know everyone's playing the game of thrones and yes the martells are but they're not playing the same game of thrones as everyone else and i think a lot of times we can look to see like the faction identity in in a lot of times if you're doing like a quick glance you can see in two places first in the tactics deck right that gives a lot of the faction flavor Uh, but the other thing is sometimes you can look at like the core units And there can be kind of an insight into what the faction is kind of all about, or you can kind of surmise a little bit about that. Do you feel like, oh, that's not a hard rule. Do you feel like that is true here with the Martells as well? If you had to pick like a, one of the units in the core box, we've got the Spearmen, the Sand Skirmishers and the Sunspear Dervishes. Do you feel like any one of those in particular, like really embodies the, the core aspects of the Martell force? Well, so taking it from one single unit, that makes it a little tricky, Mm -hmm. but that is something that we do when we pick like the units that go into starter boxes, you know, those aren't picked at random. There are ones there because they're supposed to give you a general faction feel about what you have. You know, with like raiders and giants in the uh, in the free yeah. folk, you've got your elite units that come in the Night's Watch starter box. But here with the uh, with the Martells, we picked three units that basically incorporate three kind of different aspects you're going to see in the army. And we'll get into the deep dive of these, but just to give the general overview, we have the spearmen who are basically going to be the ones that are going to come up and create your kind of front line. And they're not the best at holding defense, but they are going to be able to at least engage the enemy and sustain and basically stay there while the rest of your guys are actually doing their thing. Which brings us to like the sand skirmishers. You know, these are, as the name suggests, these are your skirmishing unit. They're going to be darting in and around the battlefield. They're very fast. Um, they're going to be uh, scouting openings to actually buff the rest of your troops and lung- getting you that damage in while your front line is tying them up. Mm-hmm. And then the third unit you have in there is your sunspired dervishes, which these are kind of precision melee units. I guess I shouldn't have said precision because, yes, they do actually have precision, but I'm 
I'm not meaning that in the literal sense. <laughs> I guess I am meaning that in the literal sense. But these guys, you know, they've got elusive escape. They've got, um, you know, uh, swift retreat. They're all about just getting in there, hitting them, I mean, darting right back out. So already just between, if I just showed you those three units working in tandem and nothing else about the faction, that should give you an idea about how they're going to play. Oh, I'm going to take my spearman. I'm going to go and lock my opponent up in there. And then I've got my other units here. They're going to be maneuvering around the edges here and basically doing their thing while I'm creating this, you know, this focal point in the front lines here. You know, one thing I think that stood out to me that I think is going to be really, really fun, but also maybe, maybe to me at least marks this faction as a little bit of a finesse faction. Like this is one I can tell that I'm going to need to get some rounds in, but there'll be like a, you know, a chance to show your skill is on that basic Martell Spearman unit. Uh, it's a five point unit and they've got that order tactical reposition at the start of an enemy turn, target one friendly unit in short range and they can perform a three inch shift. That's really cool to have on your kind of like base, more cheaper unit in the, in the box that really kind of opens up a lot of other possibilities. The more and more I thought about it with these other units you've got included and what a great, like flavorful way to capture some of that kind of guerrilla warfare positioning that we kind of associate with this faction. Yeah. And if you also see that they have in, on average, like if you take all these three units, pretty good movement speed, mm -hmm. right? With only the Spearman having movement five, which is already decent. And then the other two having movement six. So when, when you put these things together, right, you're actually tactical reposition is increasing a lot of your movement capacity and your threat range, right? And and that really, really helps out, on, especially on infantry units, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. Because even here, if you look at their slowest unit they have, which is the Spearman, which is still average speed of five, they still have that tactical reposition. So even if it's even if it's nothing else, they would be able to start their own turn, shift themselves three inches forward, and then make, you know, a five plus D6 you know, charge. It's going to be fantastic. And plus it means that you can open up certain vectors for attack where people are maybe positioning for the flank. And when you start to combine things like the scans, sand skirmishers, their quick fire and their scout openings, this looks like it. You've going to, you're really going to capture the feel here of the kind of guerrilla warfare getting in and out. And, you know, that being said, you know, the, the, uh, sand skirmishers and the Sunspear dervishes, uh, you know, those are a little bit more expensive units, a seven and a six point unit armor four plus, um, you know, decent, but you're certainly not wanting be taking like a ton of hits and getting completely like kind of bogged down because they they won't stick around forever yeah and and i guess we'll we'll get into that with the other cards but michael already hinted that they really want to debuff the enemy and and kind of stop the enemy from being optimal and you really have to play uh, it is a finesse faction like you said chase in that sense that if you just um just go and charge in and stay there you you will you will have a pretty bad time right you need to do these escapes and and these debuffs for them to actually work effectively. Yeah, this is not going to be a faction where you can just take these guys, ram them toward the enemy, and then just expect to do well. And I see that as, you know, that's something that people are going to need to know coming into the faction, is that until you get your positioning, you know, knowledge down, that's it, you're probably going to lose your first few games and everything if your strategy is just, oh, I'm just going to throw my guys right into the meat grind. That's not what this faction is. You got to be in it for the long haul. <laughs> Even in the books, the first Martel to put his face in the meat grinder literally got his head smashed in. <laughs> Oh, too soon, too soon. So. <laughs> Uh, well, I think all of these look fantastic and the scopes are amazing as well. Do you feel like, uh, you know, maybe switching over to the tactics cards, is there a, a particular tactics card in the base set that you feel, you know, 
kind of embodies a lot of this this Martell identity, like maybe more so than others. Like, you know, in Free Folk, it might be Endless Horde or Coordination Tactics. In, in Greyjoy, maybe what is Dead May Never Die? Is there one that you're particularly fond of from a design or thematic perspective for House Martell? Well, I'd say we usually, I like going for the, the family words card mm-hmm. first, Undent and Broken. So that's the one when a friendly unit is performing a panic test after rolling dice. They can re-roll any dice for this test. And if you control the attack zone, then they pass this test instead and they get to target one enemy in long range of this unit and attach this card to them until they are targeted by the attack zone or until one of your friendly combat units is destroyed while attached the enemy suffers negative two to morale tests exactly and you see that really fits the faction theme where it's going to give you a little bit of a benefit like passing a, a panic test right or re-rolling is already good but it doesn't make this card great and what makes the card amazing right is attaching it to the enemy and really giving them that debuff and and kind of forcing your enemy to play your hand right to to fall into your hand so you kind of he starts becoming predictable to you for me the card that would actually like embodies the kind of martel things that we've been talking about so far is rising temperatures whereas um so like previously you've had cards like battle endurance that will grant your own units benefits as the game goes on based on the, the game round here you have the opposite here rising temperatures is you're attaching this card to an enemy unit until they're targeted by the combat zone that's how the enemy can get rid of it but while it's attached, they're going to take stacking debuffs based on the game round. So the longer, the later in the game that you play this, the worse it's going to be. And so it starts with, you know, still pretty bad effects, like, you know, can't be targeted by tactics cards. But as the games go on, they're minus one to hit. A unit can't restore wounds. And you know, people know that restoring wounds is a is a very important tactic for a lot of things. And this completely shuts that down unless your opponent especially plays around it. in mid game, right? <laughs> especially in the mid game, but especially when it comes to like how the uh, some of the Martell strategies can function, because, you know, they're not about these big explosive bouts of damage. They're about these kind of small trickling, you know, one or two wounds is kind of coming in here over so often with some of their effects or some of their poisons. Because Yes, there are some poisons, it's not army wide, but you're going to start seeing those little effects. And, if, you know, it's going to get annoying. You know, it's basically death by a thousand cuts you know there's not gonna be any big explosive play coming from the martels it's just a lot of little annoying things they're gonna start adding up over time and i love the sand diplomacy too then where you can have you and your opponent basically have to choose a tactic zone and the first time it's claimed that round the nc loses the uh loses their abilities so now you can sort of play like other mind games where like you know you maybe know they want to go to the zone to shut something off and you can start to lay traps and really some kind of cunning strategies can be employed out of these. Uh, so, I mean, the, I think all these tactics cards look amazing. I, I'm really excited for this faction. Do you think uh, so in the starter set, typically we'll see kind of like a Victorian Greyjoy, Great John Umber, or maybe even like a Tormund. You kind of have the aggressive leader and that's embodied here by maybe Oberyn. And then you have your more tactical commander, which is in Doran Martell here. Uh, and Doran's really interesting in that he's actually an NCU, um, which is kind of a cool piece here in that. In previous editions of the game, you know, we did have NCU commanders. Now, did that change, that update change the way you were designing this character? Or were you able to kind of seamlessly transition this to be... Uh, in that role. Well, in this case specifically, that didn't really affect too much because we still basically had this plotted out to how it was going to function even back then because we had Doran. Um, now, granted, okay, back then there was a strong chance that he would have just been straight up an NCU commander. And then this other idea that eventually morphed into him being his the way he is now, that would have probably been its own separate thing as well. But because, again, we made the decision to 
three years ago at this mm-hmm. point, ah, time runs together, uh, of removing NCU commanders, then you know that original idea had to change. So the way it functions now here is that we have Adoran Martel as your army commander, but because you have to have a field presence here and everything, you have Ariel Hoteth asking as his basically presence on the battlefield. So you are required to take both of them. Uh, in your list. And yes, Doran is the one calling the shots, but his whole thing is while he's doing his political machinations, he still has his man on the battlefield here, basically acting as his, you know, his name and everything that's leading the troops. Yeah. And, and letting him kind of like dictate and, and buff area Hota's unit a little bit there, getting him to be a little bit more maneuverable in a faction where maneuverability is already at a, you know, a premium here. It's awesome. I think that's a really cool uh, way to take it. Uh, you know, Fabio, which do you prefer out of these two commanders? Do you prefer Doran or Oberyn? What's more your style? Uh, there's also one really other big element tied to Doran Martell, uh, which is he comes with a little bit of real estate, you know, so we've got him coming with the water gardens. You know, Fabio, could you talk us through a little bit like how does this work and how do you see the water gardens maybe uh, switching up or influencing the way the game's being played? Okay, so when I'll, I'll even go back to when we made Piet Pri and the, the tower, mm-hmm. we, we were already thinking of like who else could have special tactic zones, right, that they bring to the table, which are like really places that do make a difference right and we we believe that we couldn't put too many of those in and obviously you could always say like oh Winterfell is a place and Casterly Rock is a place but we, we tried to keep it at a minimum and Doran was one that that survived the cut right because the water gardens are really where, where he stays the whole time so they're really tied to him and the way where he, he puts makes people comfortable so he can kind of listen and all these like water garden whispers so I, we thought that was was really interesting the way that like he weans his guests in and how does that change the game um like i'd say that it really shakes up the way ncus are, are played he, he can really because of the water gardens effect right that after you claim the water garden your your opponent must then activate a combat unit if possible right? yeah so <laughs> that means that you kind of have you not kind of you really have a lot more control over the tactics board mm-hmm and over even the battlefield, right? When, when you do things like that, where your opponent may be forced to activate something that he wanted to hold back for, for a maneuver, and then you force him to, to then try to do a longer charge or something of the likes, right? Because of this situation. And we were talking about the, the Doran commander, but we'll talk more about the water gardens when we go to the Doran NCU later, mm-hmm. I guess. My, uh, my whole thought on that is that basically if it's something iconic enough that South Park has dedicated and almost entire episodes making fun of it like they did with the water gardens oh now who's walking who through the betrayal then. garden <laughs> gotcha that actually might be one of my favorite like bits there is when uh, cartman is in his game of thrones mode and literally the entire episode is like four times he's leading different people through the walk through the water gardens to talk about planning against everyone else and then finally the old man whose garden they're actually in keeps yelling out the window don't trust him he's done this like three times today of other people <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's a good point, uh, Fabio. I need to clarify. So Dorn Martell, Prince of Dorn, is the NCU that comes with the Water Gardens zone. And it is Dorn Martell 
Lord of the Sunspear, which has the on the field commander through area hotel mechanic. Yeah. And so so uh, and then your other NCU is Alaria Sand, the Viper's Paramour. I'm always excited to see like what NCUs you put in the box. And for Martels, there's a lot of like really well-known characters as well as a, a plethora of many, many others. But I'm always curious to see like, you know, how far are you going to, how deep are you going to go on that like initial NCU choice? And, uh, you know, what what made you think to put Alaria Sand in, in, this, in the base set here? Well, she is like, you know, uh, okay, that's the thing with Martels specifically. They have a lot, a lot of political figures. Um, which again, we're not going to talk about the show and the the, the dirty deeds that done, done happen there. <laughs> we don't we don't, we don't talk about the Martel arc of the show. <laughs> but um, you know that's the thing. Sometimes you'll come across a faction that there is just no shortage of interesting characters to use, and this is by far one of them. So this wasn't so much about like. Okay, I know, like, let's go back to, like, the Baratheons, because everyone loves to bring old dear Shira Errol, who even George forgot. <laughs> well, okay, I don't, you know, I say that in the nicest way possible, just that she was off script, replaced by a different character later. But, <laughs> anyway, you know, in that case, that was a unique challenge of the Baratheons about finding some characters that were at least mainly neutral, that didn't, you know, weren't very clearly in one camp. But here with the Martells, man, the short list of characters that could be NCUs was probably greater than almost any other faction. So yeah, this was this was no this was this was a list of having to find the ones that fit best as NCUs because, you know, we were releasing a hero box, you know, with this um with the the initial wave as well. Uh, so we're not going to really talk about that too much, but even Hero Box 2, you know, spoilers, by the way, there's a Hero Box 2 and a Hero Box 3. <laughs> spoilers. What? What spoilers. are you doing? <laughs> oh but um, yeah, so it's it would have been very easy to fill up every single one of those boxes with nothing but NCUs. I think that was a quote, actually, right? From her, Illyria San. I think she was the one that said, we're everywhere in Dorne. I have 10,000 brothers and sisters. And uh, so, so uh, Hero Box, only only three Hero Boxes, huh? Hmm, okay. Yep, hard cap, three Hero Boxes. That's, that's Another right. quote for the ages folks we have it but so you have it's a pretty solid lineup here though these are all recognizable names that like even if you're not like oh i know the history of the martels and like the 16 sub houses that might be under their dominion or something like alaria saying you're gonna recognize and so right in the core box oberon doran alaria like that's a really solid lineup so I think it's going to have a lot of like instant recogni- uh, recognizability, uh, which is, you know, always great when people are jumping into. Although I did love learning about Shira Errol. That was a that was a fun one to do a little bit of reading on. A little bit. You need to read a lot to find her there. <laughs> she is the Lady of Haystack Hall. Like, how do you not remember yeah. that iconic <laughs> part of the You made books? her famous now. She's, she's famous now. So a fun fact, by the way, to talk about Auburn uh, specifically, uh, that is another one of our self-references here uh, in the fact that uh, Oberon is uh, glad you say that, Chase, because he is actually uh, Jose Palmeras, the head of Big Child Creative, who is the one that sculpts and paints all of the Song of Ice and Fire miniatures uh, located in Madrid, Spain. There we go. That is him. And there was no small uh, spoilers, by the way, for 20 year old book series and uh, eight season long TV show. Uh, there was no small amount of like, you know, fun talk back and forth about him getting his head just completely caved in for being, you know, uh, the Red Viper. Is that going to be somewhere like uh, eventually maybe a, a lady 
sculpt and a, uh, a headless Oberyn or a squished head Oberyn? I think we would have a better chance of getting a headless Ned Stark before we get a headless Oberyn. Oh, okay. All right. Hmm. Actually, switching it since we're jumping over to the Oberyn there. You know, Oberyn actually makes use of poison. He's the person in the starter set, if I'm understanding correctly, that is the the, the sole person that's going to be using poison. And he'll have, of course, the infamous Manticore Venom. Um, now, it's it, that's tied to vulnerability tokens. And uh, it seems like their generation is a key part of the faction identity. Uh, like there's a lot of things that seem to generate tokens. Um, you know, how do you see Poison maybe adding a new layer to gameplay? And you, what impact do you think it's going to have on the game? And uh, are, if you can maybe hint or nudge, you know, are we going to see future Poison, do you think? And, and you know, in a similar mechanic style, perhaps? Oh, no, we made just one Poison, one game mechanic uh, for, for just one thing where we'll, we'll never that's, use those again. That's it. There's no Basilisk <laughs> Demon's Dance, Grey Cap, Sweet Sleep. It's re- retired. Retired to the vault, never to be seen again. Okay. Hmm. Well, that's what I said initially. Is like this is not going to be like some widespread thing, but you're going to have characters and effects that are going to utilize poison, and they're all going to do different stuff, just like poisons do in real life. I mean, they all do different things. You seem to know an awful lot about poisons, huh? <laughs> um, did you feel like what well, you know? I don't know if you can speak to the design process. Was there many iterations of poisons? Did you, was it kind of hard to land on this final piece here? Well, that's kind of true of everything that we do. You know, the first iteration that we come up with is. Sometimes, well, I'm not gonna say it's the worst, but usually it's not the one that you know we go mm-hmm. with. Sometimes though, you circle back to the initial iteration after trying a bunch of other stuff and go like, ah, hey, you know what, this one's actually really good. But ten, it tends to like just basically morph or evolve over time. But um, you know, there were definitely different versions of poisons to how this one came out with. They were originally like they were gonna be a type of condition token, or you know, they're gonna be its own new thing, kind of like pillage. But the way they shaped up here, at least in the ones that are currently seen, is you know they are negative effects that add on to the enemy units. Um, so the Manticore Venom card attaches to an enemy and creates its negative effect. There. That's not to say that we'll all function like that, but you know, this is just setting a, a kind of a pattern or precedent. Basically, expect the unexpected. Oh, yeah. Poisons are like a place where we can go pretty wild because we can add a, like a lot of text, like all things considered, because they have a card of their own. So, yeah, expect the unexpected. And that's and that's fun to have like a kind of a space where you can play like that and, you know, test out some new things. And, you know, initially looking at it, I was like, oh, my gosh, this seems like so powerful. Um, and yet, you know, when you really start to think about it, like, well, you have to apply it. And then it's you got to use your resources to generate those tokens. So it, another, it builds up like another way you can build for it and you can, you know, tactically you know, try to implement. And, you know, your opponent can try to avoid and it's going to happen. But, yeah, you, you, you know, you, you got to be uh, mindful of the law game here and 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 expect it so i don't know i'm kind of excited to play into this this is like you know i'm certainly someone who needs to like actually push miniatures around a table to really get a good feel of things but this is something i'm excited to play against and at with and uh, and get a real sense of um, but i'm excited to see like where this is going as a, in a in a future direction because poisons like actually are a big part of a song of ice and fire i know we're talking mostly with the martels but things get referenced a lot in the books uh whether it's even just like helping people get to sleep um but you know something that can show up in in all sorts of ways yeah we get maester lewin and get some you know milk of the poppy yeah, exactly right and it's like that's cool to see this entering in um and you know i guess it's been fun we, we talked about it's like been years of, of talking about the game and like uh, just to see the constant an evolution like you know by pre was it crazy to be like oh my gosh we've expanded a tactics board now we could potentially have five plus pyatt 
and uh, Doran, you know, seven zones. We got poison. Like, it's just cool to see how the game's just evolving here. And it, you know, means that the way you play changes too, which is exciting to add those layers. There seems like there's a ton of poisons, right, Fabio? Yeah, but there's actually only 12 known poisons. And according to the wiki, certain species of mushrooms, if you want that to count, then there's a baker's dozen. You know, it was actually funny, just a little fun fact out there talking about the initial faction thing. You know, I remember, I don't remember how long ago this was because it can last, especially three years, kind of blurred by a bit. <laughs> but I remember when we were talking about the poisons here, um, we were like, yeah, there's enough here where if, if, if even if we wanted to take that route, which we knew we didn't want to do, but if we decided to like we can make every single tactics card and like commander card in this entire faction a bunch of different poisons but you know so yeah they're out there some of that didn't happen though you were like wait a second we may have gone too far oh you know here's your here's your you know your spearman your spearman poison and everything but it will play a a role in the faction but it's going to be kind of like one of those almost sub-faction themes where you can lean into that as more stuff comes out with Mm -hmm. it but it's not going to be a core faction identity it's just another tool in their arsenal. Well, I think it's going to be really exciting. And, you know, as uh, also, I'm a big fan of you know, now you're releasing the factions kind of instead of doing two starter sets at the same time with a limited release. We're going to be launching with enough here to you know get it in and start playing it in, uh, you know, in a serious manner here. Obviously, you can bring in neutrals and things like that. But uh, being able to have the additional boxes on release and the hero boxes opens up so much. So I'm really excited to get this on the table. Now, as we wrap things up here, you know, there might be a chance for people to bump into you in person here, right? Are you guys are a rumor? A little bird told me that you might be heading over to Gen Con. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. My first Gen Con. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> and how about the grizzled, grizzled Michael? How about you, the, the veteran of many long wars? I, that honestly felt like a, a buddy cop moment there <laughs> where it's just like the young starry eyed like, oh, boy, I'm going to Gen Con. And then he made that noise that he just did, which I'm not going to even repeat. Uh, but it's like I am I am just like, yeah, it's Gen Con. I've got how many Gen Cons has it been? Anyway, yes, uh, we will. We will both be a Gen Con. Um, so Simon uh, uh, does not have an official booth there. So we are basically splitting our time between the Asmo Day area and then the Spin Master area because we're basically pulling double duty there where they're promoting like song stuff and everything as well, but also pushing Marvel Zombies with Spin Master uh, and then whatever else we have time for around. So, you know, you'll definitely see us around there. We will be there somewhere on the premises, somewhere in the city of Indianapolis during those four days. And, you know, Fabio, how many times have you been up to the States? Well, I've, I've been there once, but like as a child. So like I was like, 13 years old or something like that and now with what's he plus and, six because of song Boys and fire yeah, yeah and, and i'm and i'm i'm pretty excited it, it's like the usa fascinates me in in many different ways and i'm really curious to to go and 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 kind of like see how it is to go like in this in these big american conventions it's it's still pretty glamorized for me so we need to we need to, as a community, we need to help you out. Yeah, we need to help you out, okay? We need to, so if you're in the community, maybe think about, you know, what, what are the things that Fabio needs to experience while he's here? Maybe at Gen Con, but maybe in Indianapolis as a whole. I feel like, you know, one of the cooler fashion things is typically, uh, Fabio, and I don't know if this happens in Brazil too, to when you're visiting a place to really show your love of it, you get one of these like I heart and then the location name shirts. So make sure you pick up one of those. And then if anyone's got foods, things like that, maybe mentally make a note of that. And if you see Fabio at the convention, you can suggest some local places to go eat or things like that. 
Yeah, for sure. I'm really into like meeting the locals, let's say. Yeah, for sure. And there are some things that make me curious uh, like that I only see in movies. So like I've never been to a (laughs) diner. So like, and things like that, which yeah. I'm really, I really want to go. So yeah, you will be able to recognize Fabio's. He will be the Brazilian that is there, decked out in full American flag regalia on every single article of clothing. Uh, well, I, I hope you have it. Yeah. Don't expect me to wear like a, a football T-shirt or soccer for you. Do you Americans. have a baseball cap? Do you have a? Oh, I need one, right? I, I guess. You, I, basically, it's like a passport. Yeah, you have to have it. Uh, well, we'll set, we'll set you up though, and uh, you know, I hope you have a great time. Yeah, you know, you're lucky. Michael sounds like he'll be looking out for you, making sure you get the full experience oh geez rick <laughs> oh we're gonna have fun uh, well thank you so much for coming on and uh you know i'm looking forward to to getting the faction on the table and, and having fun with it and i hope you guys have a blast at gen con unfortunately i won't be able to be in attendance this year but everybody be safe and uh you know thanks so much once again for coming on and in the meantime hope you get your miniatures on the table